Welcome to Crime on Primetime. I'm your host, Kinsey Huseman, and I'm here with my two best friends. What's up, y'all? It's A-Rod. And Malik. How are y'all doing? Living life, man. Stressful week. It's been a stressful couple weeks for me. Yeah. Do it. You can't yeah. complain if I wanted to. Well, aren't you just so happy go lucky? Sitting, so keep the vibes up. Sitting, sitting. Jobs. Yeah. It's where we're jobs. Yeah. Some people got to work job. the seven every day, buddy. You got a job, mofos. It's not my fault. I love my job. It's just a busy week, really. Once we get past this next week, I got two more weeks of camp and I'm golden. I can't believe you'll only do camp until like July. Well, it's because the they changed the uh, school district to year round, so they only get five weeks off for summer. Oh, do they have Fridays off? No. Oh, they just said you school. So they get a fall break. So randomly, in like in the middle of the fall semester, they get two weeks off, and then for spring break, they get two weeks off. I don't know how to feel about that. I, How would I he think need? Hey Malik, what was the actual question you were gonna ask us? Oh wait, wait, wait. Let me let me make an announcement. Guess what? What? Crime on Prime Time has a TikTok. Oh. <laughs> is it like videos? Well, what else is a TikTok? All right. First off, don't 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 be a smart. I'm, what that's I, what, what I'm telling you, bro. Something's on her today, man. I don't know what, what I mean. What I meant was, was it like, like, how can we see, like, ourselves? It, no, it's it's me. It I'm hate TikTok. Oh, no, it's me. So we're saying I need to take more snap videos with show, snap pictures with uh, filters on of y'all. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah, you can. I don't. I don't know. I think I can hear myself talking in your video, A-Rod. You got mute. No, you can hear yourself. I I pulled up the crime on Prime Time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to work TikTok. It took me too long to figure out how to do that video right there. And that was less than a minute. Shout out to any people who can work TikTok because it is impressive. It's overwhelming. I literally had it. This is also when I was in the like old person mindset. I had to Google how to make a TikTok. I have a lot of them in the drafts, but they're never going to get posted. Anyways, I can give y'all access to the TikTok so that y'all can also make TikToks. Melissa, social media guy now. I don't know if I'd say social media guy. I'll make some funny TikToks for you. I'm just. But they have to be crime oriented. Okay. Okay. I'll give you the access to it. We can make some TikToks. Get our name. Anyway, so any of the followers, you can follow Crime on Primetime podcast on TikTok. There's a video of me that took way too long to figure out how to make. I hope it's not you dancing. No, it's me introducing the podcast. And honestly, I was impressed because I was able to like do some effect, not effects, but I was able to add some stickers and then make them go away. And then I added a picture to the background. It was I was impressed with myself. I figured it out. It it took me like two hours yesterday, and I did it the wrong way. And I 
I gave up. So then I went back to it today and then it probably took me another hour. So that one minute video took me three hours. (laughs) I was like, oh man, what I would do, what I'm, what I'm willing to do to grow the crime on primetime community. But I'm very interested to hear the second question really cat for us. Yeah. What's the second question? It's it's honestly not nearly as good as what we were just talking about. It's pretty simple because I was hoping to get into the part two pretty fast. But I just want so the question was, if you have to get rid of if you can only keep one, would you keep Mexican food, Chinese food, or American food? So like Chinese food next. This is the type of question I've been waiting for, Malik. Malik's asking you about aliens. Chinese food. Yeah, I heard talking about food. I've been waiting to talk about music or movies or something. Oh, let's talk about some food. Chinese. That's easy. Chinese. Chinese. Why Chinese? Because one, if y'all don't know me, I don't like Mexican food as much. I'm not a big fan. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Maybe I don't know you at all. Growing up, had it a lot. Not a, I don't like eating the same stuff. Yeah. I get that. And then I would have to put American food at two because I do love burgers. Man, I love burgers. Something, but. See, I'm the opposite of you because when I was growing up, like sixth grade to like when I graduated and even after, my dad decided he wanted to be the Little League president. Um, (laughs) And my mom was like the vice president. And she ran the concession stand at the Little League. And let me tell you, my parents did a really good job. They grew that a lot. It was a lot of fun growing up. But that meant that we were up there because then also my brothers played. And so we were up there for like four out of the seven days a week. And all my mom would say was, go get something from the concession stand and like put it on my tab. Which also, I was like, why do we have a tab as much as we put in? (laughs) But you know what? She paid for every single piece of food we ate that, like, all those seasons. Um, But I, it was, I didn't like the nachos because I don't like melted cheese like that. So really, it was like chicken sandwiches or burgers. And I ate too many burgers and I was just over it. And so I boycotted burgers for a long time. But... I could eat fried rice any day. Shout out to Ms. Rocky. Still the best fried rice I've ever had to this day. We had this friend in high school, his mom. She's Filipino. She's not like straight from the Philippines, but she's Filipino. And she would make this fried rice. And I tried to recreate it. She gave me the recipe. It's not the same. I don't know how she does. It might be the best. Like, and it's to argue on who's going to have a bowl of that fried rice. We used to have arguments over it. Well, Miss Rocky, who's have the most. well, Miss Rocky, if you're listening, I would also like to try the fried rice because I do like fried rice. Rice. Okay, so shut up. My name's Beach and Bed a bit. Um, okay, so my picks. I kind of had me and Dalton are on an eight hour, not eight hour, eight mile hike yesterday. So we played a game like this where we just asked random questions and this, uh, something like this came up. Um, I think I would have to say Mexican food, number one. Um, 
pasta Italian number two because I do love good pasta. And Dalton makes fantastic homemade pasta. And then, yeah, American food number three because I just ate it too much as a kid. And I feel like I haven't had good barbecue in so long. So now I just hate all, I don't hate all barbecue. I'm just like, it doesn't impress me as much. Because I haven't had it. It does not. Not that I've tasted, but if anyone from Colorado is listening and is like, Kenzie, you're missing out on this one place, let me know. Italian yeah, is my least favorite. No. Dalton took me to this one place after a hike last year, and he was like, this is the best barbecue. It was the And it was, like, dry. And, and even he was like, it's dry this time. He's like, it didn't taste like this the last time I had it. Like, I don't know, but it was, it was like, it's not really impressive. Yeah, like, I, I found it tastes like this all the time. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. But we had just started dating, so I was like trying to be like, oh, no, it's fine. It's so good. But now. Yeah, I would be like, this is dry. Like, I don't, like it's... but I don't like Italian food, man. I never liked it. Never been you don't like pasta? You don't no, like it's because... carbs with sauce? It's because growing up, like every day, like every night before game day, that's what my parents would make me. That's and what you're supposed to eat. I was like, I don't want it. Like, I've just you, never you, been you, a big spaghetti guy. And and also, I blame a little bit of Malik because he took me to Olive Garden and that place was awful. So you're saying that spaghetti and Olive Garden are your two Italian experiences? I don't you like have to like pizza. I mean, sometimes I'm not a big fan of pizza. I like I'll eat it once in a while, but I... wait, did you say Chinese food too? Chinese food has that's tough. Chinese food is my favorite food of all time. I would have to put maybe Chinese before Italian. It would go Chinese number one, seafood number two, American. Seafood wasn't even an option. Seafood goes with any of that. That's well, all. It, I'm, just, I'm, food. Just, I'm just what. I mean, <laughs> but it's not like what am I trying to say? It's not Malik. What am I trying it's to say? Not, it's not. It's not like a category. Not the category we're talking about. Seafood can fall technically within each of those. Categories. Well, Italian. I can have a seafood the, pasta. Italian wasn't one of the categories. The seafood Italian in. So I can get Oh, it wasn't. You explained that one. You brought up the other question about you and Dalton. Mine at least fit in the categories. Okay, okay. Mine doesn't. Yes, because yours isn't a regional food. He's talking about different regional foods. Would you prefer Mexican, Chinese, or American? Seafood can be any of those. I can have shrimp fried rice. I just had seafood enchiladas. Or I could just have seafood just about shrimp okay so i would go mexican chinese and american now that i got it right it goes chinese with mexican first it's just because you haven't had the right mexican yeah i don't know are you ready hey let's go what is my life will be here okay 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 all right so last week was our very first part one. 
from where I left you hanging. So let's do previously on Crime on Prime Time. And then you do the theme music. Yeah, I can't. Oh, <laughs> I didn't hear. Yeah. Let me tell you, I have half a mind to do the previously on in third person, but I know y'all will make fun You gotta do the previous on Dragon Ball Z. You gotta put that. Okay, okay, let me let me try again, and then I'm gonna do third person, and you have to deal with it. No, I can't right. do third person. Okay. Previously on Crime on Prime Time. Okay, so last week, we talked about... We watched your... <laughs> Oh my goodness, you need to work on your voices. Last week on Criminal Minds, not Criminal Minds, last week on our podcast, we watched a Criminal Minds episode, season 10, episode 1, X. It was about this creepy-ass dude that chopped up people's bodies while they were still alive, and he had, there was a guy that had a leg fetish, and then he had a torso fetish, and they caught them. And a girl was then seen being kidnapped as she was running, presumably for sex trafficking. But I guess any trafficking because that guy just cut her up and did not have sex with her. Um, so that was the Criminal Minds episode. So this episode was based on the Butcher of Kingsbury Run, which took place in the in Cleveland during the Great Depression. And this guy never caught. He was. They'd, I mean, torsos were showing up in Cleveland at this time. They suspected that he was targeting people that lived in shanty towns, which is where, like, people that had no money for houses or anything, they built these makeshift houses and communities, and that he was operating in one of those. And because there were people moving all over the place looking for work and no one knew where anyone was, it was easy for him to... Um, go undetected and a lot of his victims weren't identified because um, he they like no one knew where anyone was so missing persons reports weren't a thing DNA wasn't a thing there was not a head and most of the time there weren't fingerprints so they didn't know and then we ended it with like right as we were ending it the coroner called this big group together because it had been like out of two, two or three years, no progress was being made because no leads would be made because they can't identify their victims. Um, so quarter gathered this big group and said, hey, this is what we know. Kind of gave a bit of a profile, but everyone's like, okay, so we kind of know what who, what type of person we're looking for, but still no leads. So they brought in the big guns, pow, pow, pow. Elliot Ness and Peter Marullo. So Peter Marullo had been on the force already for 17 years and was a detective handpicked by the chief of police. The mayor brought in Elliot Ness, who just got done taking down Al Capone and was a golden boy. And he was like, yeah, I took down Al Capone by myself. And the FBI was going over there like, bro, no, you did it. And like, we don't want you. Elliot Ness was kind of like the guy on the sports team. He's like the guy on JV that's like, yeah, I carry JV. And everyone's on varsity is like, okay, but he's really not like that as good as he thinks um, in terms of sports. Uh, so he was writing the high of the fame of Al Capone. So he was like, you know what? I really don't need Peter Murillo. So two different investigations took force, forth. And I think that's where I left off. Any questions, class? 
Oh, Malik would have a better memory of it since he was here last week. Well, my only th- I think someone in the whoever did it is involved in the government, man. But okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. We're gonna get to conspiracies at the end. Hold up, we didn't talk about that. This is previously on. Okay, okay, check. Hold. But I did watch. I looked up about Elliot Ness. And I, I do know him from that movie, Untouchables. I've seen that movie. Okay. So, Aero. Yes, ma'am. Any questions from you since you weren't here last week? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. So, let's jump back in. Should I paint a picture again? It's Yeah, paint that picture. I need to see a, a castle-like. Let me Andy Warhol, Jackson Pollock, Vincent Van Gogh, not Van Gogh, is Van Gogh. Get it right. Hold on a minute. Let me get the exact year so I can put his right back. Been crazy. Okay, listen up as I begin to draw and paint you a picture. You ready? It's 1936. The Cleveland shanty town of Kingsbury Run has been terrorized. Now, for like two years, the coroner called the group in. Everyone's getting heated. They want answers. Who is this? Are we safe? Are we not? Where's our money? Everyone's desperate, desperate, desperate to survive the Great Depression, desperate to survive the serial killer, wondering if they're next, wondering if they'll survive the winter, wondering where their next meal will come from. And the pressures are rising though the city had called the big guns in and the press was was ramped up that didn't hinder the killer from continuing his work in february 1937 a torso of a woman washed up on lake erie in june bones of a black woman were discovered under lorraine carnegie bridge in july a headless male torso was fished out of the Cahuga River on this body the on this body the pathologist found evidence of escalated violence as there was more hacking than usual even the type of victim didn't help the police the killer targeted men women black white there didn't seem to be a real motive involved a year later in 1938 in April a woman's leg was found in the same river in May, a thigh and a left foot were found in the river. In August, the male and a female were found on East 9th Street. And the killings just continued. But don't worry, the police were working in the background. Maru had developed a theory. The killer was using the train to find his victims, and that most of the victims were drifters and not from Cleveland, hence why they couldn't identify anyone. In fact, a similar murder slash murders had taken place in Pennsylvania, which was up the road by train. Between 1921 and 1950, nine dismembered bodies were found in the swamps of Newcastle and around Pittsburgh railroads. They were called the murder swamp killing killings, but the MO, the victim type, and the closeness to Cleveland via the train had caused many to theorize that the same unsub committed both sets of murders. 
Desperate to catch a lead, Marullo immersed himself in what he believed was the killer's hunting by riding the train the way transients would, hoping to see something suspicious. So he would just ride the train back and forth, trying to blend in, trying to see if he noticed anything that would maybe stand out to, a, like, an officer. And while Marula was working on this theory, Ness was also using his own tactics. And what we talked about with Ness last week, because this will come into play here, is that Ness was first hired by the mayor to come in and clean up Cleveland, and so he was Mr. Goody Two-Shoes by the book, and he made 200 officers resign and took 15 officials to trial for, like, all of their illegal or sketchy undoings and, and, and things like that. So all the while, Ness had put together a group of men with ties to the illegal underground happenings to find any information about the killings they could. So I feel like today we would call this like a CI. You got a bunch of CIs to like keep their ears and their eyes out for any of the killers. In the meantime, he had the police stop cars driving at odd hours to try to catch someone with a body in their car. And then he had them go through laundry shops looking for clothes with blood stains. And so the police chief, when he was interviewed, basically said like, Hey, we didn't catch this killer, but let me tell you, we caught a lot of other, like, crimes by these tactics. So, he was still solving crimes, doing these things. I don't know, what do y'all think of that, of him having having police stake out cars just because they're driving at odd hours and going through laundry shops looking for bloodstains? Sounds like a waste of time. Sounds like fishing. Just a waste of random cars. Yeah, just because they were driving maybe, like, too late or too early. And that they they were hoping that they pulled them over, there'd just be a body back there. Sounds a waste of taxpayers' money. I get it. It's been, like, four years. The bodies keep coming. You're desperate. It's kind of smart. I don't know if I would ever think about, like, hey, maybe he's taking his clothes to get laundried. And there's blood stains somewhere. I wonder. I feel it. Like, is it like at the time where people can like issue a curfew? Is that a thing yet? You know. You know what I mean, though. I think so because I think that came around in prohibition. I mean, I think so too. So like maybe if people are outside like after the curfew, then I'd understand. But I don't. You didn't say he issued a curfew, so I'm assuming he did. Maybe it's yeah. I had to do a little research, but. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there might have been a curfew. It just didn't come across in my research, but it wouldn't surprise me. But also, I feel like it'd be hard to issue a curfew because it's not like people had homes to go back to. That's true. They are in, like, one of the, in, like, shanty towns, right? Yeah. So, they're just kind of all about, I mean, they're most of the population's homeless. Um... But I'm also wondering, like, how legal this is. Can you just go into laundry shops and start looking through people's clothes? I know nowadays you definitely can't just pull someone over and... Go through, you're going through my bloomers. <laughs> okay. Little did anyone know, Ness caught wind of a suspect in May of 1938. Dr. Francis Sweeney served as an ar- army medic in World War One 
and became a certified doctor in 1929. After the war, however, Sweeney became a drunk, which made him violent, erratic, and often he would disappear for days. In 1933, his wife filed an affidavit with the court stating she feared for her husband's safety. In 1939, she filed for divorce. After the divorce, Sweeney stayed in and out of a sailor's or soldiers and sailors home. So I think this is like what we would consider like the VA or like a, a type of like mental and mental institution specifically for those involved in the war. And this is where suspicions would first rise. In March of 1938, a dog walked into his house into the like the owner's house carrying a human leg. This house was not far from the home Sweeney was in. Dun dun dun. In uh, in May of 1938, Sweeney found himself in a hotel room, waking up from a three-day drunken stupor, surrounded by Ness, a psychiatrist, and David Cowles, the head of the Scientific Investigation Bureau. So essentially, they waited for him to get really drunk and then kidnapped him and took him to a hotel and then waited for him to sleep off the drunkenness so they could question him. For a week, the men interrogated Sweeney for eight hours a day in the hotel room. They even called in Dr. Leonard Keeler, who invented the Keeler polygraph, to test Sweeney. After the test, Keeler confirmed he was the man, no question about it, he even said, quote, I may as well throw my machine out the window if I say anything else. Despite truly believing Sweeney was the man, they inevitably let him go. Because they had no physical evidence, and Sweeney's cousin was Martin L. Sweeney, a Democratic congressman. This interrogation was strictly off the books, in fact. The public would only learn of it years and years after the murder stopped, which many speculate is because this was around the same time Sweeney was institutionalized for his decreasing mental health issues. Regardless if Sweeney was the true killer or not, history will never know what was truly said in that one-week span in the hotel room. However, this mire defeat and the growing frustration of no lead or clues adds m- the mounting mount, adds mounting pressure on Ness, especially with his beloved press starting to turn on him. He had spent years hunting crooked cops, but the stress of the Cleveland Torso case would push him over the edge and cause him to join those he used to hunt. On August 18, 1938, he gathered a group of 25 cops and raided the Kingsbury Run shantytown. In a state of pure frustration, he decided that if he couldn't find the killer, he would take away the killer's hunting ground. The police officers gathered about 60 Kingsbury Run residents and took them to the police station. Once there, the residents were forced to give their fingerprints, just in case they fell victim to the killer and needed to be identified. Then they were investigated for any illegal behavior, and finally, if they have a job, they were released. With all of the residents removed, Ness set fire to the Kingsbury Run shanty town 
a move that would completely turn the press against nests. Okay, what do y'all think about that move? Malik got something to say? Huh? I I just contemplate. Hold on. Are you drinking wine straight from the bottle? Leave me alone. It's been a rough week. <laughs> 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 I don't question what you do, Ken. So leave me alone. <laughs> um, I don't know if it, not specifically about that, but the polygraph thing. <laughs> I don't understand like how like polygraphs work and why we don't use polygraphs all the time. Because it's not conclusive. So the way they work is that you're hooked up to the machine, and essentially what they're looking for is like heart rate in breathing. So if you increase your heart rate, you're lying. And there's like other tell, like throughout the years, it's been more developed. So there's like other things you look for um, in that. But I'm assuming at this time, it was really just like an increase in your heart rate. And if it increased, you're lying. Well, a couple of things. One, people have learned how to beat the test. If you're calm, your heart rate's not spiking. So you could be lying. Also, okay, they're lying, but what are they lying about? You know? Yeah, so it doesn't mean that they killed someone. It just means that they might know more something different that they just don't want other people to know. Um, And then just because, like, your heart rate spikes... Well, you're also in a stressful situation, right? If you're getting one of these tests, probably a crime has been committed and you're probably being looked at as a suspect. So, like, for me, I get nervous. I, If someone accuses me of something and I know I didn't know it, I still get nervous in my heart, heart rate spikes because I'm so concerned they won't believe me. So if I were to take one of these tests, I'd be so nervous that my heart rate would be up just from pure stress of the situation, but I would have nothing to do with it. So it was catching the wrong thing. So throughout the years, it's been so scientifically disproven as a it can't be used in court because it's not scientifically proven now you can still take a polygraph and the police can still use that information to continue their investigation but they can't use it as a concrete piece of evidence in court now not this at this time this time it was legal um and all and all all the bad things that have now been disproven so it could be that Sweeney failed the test because he woke up from a three-day bender surrounded by the police that were accusing him of cutting up, like, 13 people. Do you think... So, obviously, I feel like they've probably interviewed a lot of different people and had a lot of suspects so far. Do you think they've probably solved a bunch of different murders, murders or crimes in general from... Uh, interviewing all these different people, I feel like they solved a lot. Or I feel like let them on to other things. There was probably like some small crime, like murders, something like that. But honestly, I wouldn't even really care about that. The main object, the main objective for me would be to find the big guy. Yeah, so I would just let go. They did. The, that's what I was saying. The police chief was like, "Hey, they're using all these tactics to catch the killer. You haven't caught him, but we've got all these other guys." Yeah. So we are like we're they, doing something. 
I feel like they probably poked the right buttons and, and certain people. Because obviously there aren't some criminal track. Maybe they just sniffed the wrong tracks. But at least they get somebody. But yeah, they probably used them to like, hey, like if you help us find this guy, um, you can get like time off and all that. I don't know. Okay, but what do y'all think of Ness's idea that, well, if I can't catch the killer, then I'll one, arrest the people that he's hunting, and then two, burn down their homes. Oh, that's that's a little crazy. That's yeah. wild. He's kind of on a little rampage there. It seems like a maniac move, like someone in pure mania of like, I can't win. Let me just do yeah. something absolutely ridiculous. It's almost one of those like, I feel like there's like an SU episode about it. But like when you chase a killer so long, you kind of become one. Kind of like you become that person. Yeah. 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 It's, I don't know. I mean, these are people, this was the greatest financial crisis in American history. These are people that literally don't know where their next meal are coming from and don't know when release is going to come. And so, yeah, they may be involved in illegal activities. Not that anyone was killing anyone. I mean, but the, I'm sure, th- I guess what I'm saying is that those illegal activities were probably done out of survival. Yeah. More than it was done out of, like, pure disregard for the laws. And then to so burn down whatever home they were able to make. I mean, they had to scavenge for the materials to even make those things find a place, build it so they could protect themselves. I mean, they had to put a lot of work into just creating some sort of structure to survive. And part of these things about these shantytowns, they became communities. I read where it wasn't in Cleveland, but in another city, I think it was like St. Louis or something. They like, the shantytowns had like their own place where they gathered for church. They had like a makeshift park and a playground. Like they had a makeshift school. They created a community within themselves, mostly because they needed that also to survive. I mean, you can't live in pure desperation. So that was their community that you essentially just burned to the ground for really no reason. I mean, you don't even truly know if these these are the people you think they are. But what if it's Marillo's idea and it's like not even people from Cleveland and he's just taking the train? The shanties sound like good people. Hey, Pittsburgh's only about two hours away from Cleveland. Yeah. And so... An opinion piece was printed in the Cleveland press. Let me tell you, the people of Cleveland were not happy. They also... Because that was the other thing. Like, The shanties weren't a nuisance to people. People sympathized with them and were like, yeah, like that could be me tomorrow. Who knows? So they let them be and they tolerated them. And so the public turned against Ness because they did not agree with this move at all. Um, those living, not living in shanty towns at the time. So an opinion piece was printed in the Cleveland press that read that such shanty towns exist in a sorrowful reflection upon society. The throwing into jail of men broken by experience, burning and the burning of their places of habitation will not solve the economic problem nor is it likely to lead to the solution of the most macabre mystery in cleveland's history so yeah this person was like 
Burning it down isn't going to make the depression go away. Burning it down isn't going to make the killer go away. You didn't solve anything. Yeah. He's just hurting them more than he is helping them. Yeah. Because you, okay, you took her. There's like a lot of shanty towns. Like I said, there's like a thousand of them. Now you may have moved the killer to a different one. And now you don't know where he's going to strike next. At least knowing that he operated in a Kingsbury run. You had an enclosed location. Now he could strike anywhere. And you don't, you have no clue. You took away your advantage. Losing the press and the public's favor only made Ness double down. Only four days after the fire, Ness paired a group of officers with a group of firemen. This gave Ness a loophole in which he could search people's houses without a search warrant or probable cause as firefighters didn't need these to do a safety check. These pairs went door-to-door in a 10-square-mile radius of Kingsbury Run looking for any clue that could lead to a suspect. But like all the other extreme tactics Ness had used, the search turned up nothing. So what do you think of that move? Another stupid move. Literally, he was not going to find anything during the search. I could have known before he even did it. Like, He's just trying stuff to try stuff. Yeah. Old desperation mode. You know that quote from The Dark Knight that's like, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain? Yeah, that's it. No. I feel like that's Ness. That's a great. Great. That was beautiful. Thanks. Thanks. I feel like that's like the definition of his what's happening. Yeah. Okay. At the same time, Emil Fronick went went forward to the press. Say that again. Did you say Milf? Did you say yeah? I thought you said Milf. (laughs) Well, now. Okay. At the same time, Emil. Oh. Fronick went forward to the press with his story. In November of 1934, so four years ago. He was walking down the street when a physician invited him in, saying he would give Emil a hot meal and some shoes. A starving Emil accepted the offer, but not long after he started eating, he felt sick, and he fled from the office. He passed out in a boxcar and awoke three days later. Interested in this story, Ness questioned Emil. Then had him retrace his steps, but given that it was four years after the incident, Emil had not pinpointed the exact building, just a general area. So I think he said it was between like East 50th and 55th Street. Coincidentally, or maybe not, Sweeney worked in an office in the same vicinity between East 50th and 55th Street at this time. His office was hidden behind a deli that protruded out farther. So they, he was like on the back side of this deli. So maybe that's why Emil couldn't find the building again. The theory is that Emil went to the back of the deli looking for scraps when Sweeney invited him in. Regardless, there was no proof. 
For years after the killings had even stopped, Ness would receive taunting and harassing letters, from the, presumably from the killer. But one came from Sweeney himself. Ness's moral... It didn't really say anything. It was kind of just rambling, but... Some came from the killer, some came from Ness... Or one came from Sweeney. None of them really said anything. Ness's morals rapidly declined from frustration of not solving the case and frustration as not being the media's golden boy anymore. In a twist, he started drinking heavily, and his ex-wife would later say, later say quote, He screwed everything in a skirt. Oh, no. Now he's turning to a man whore. He gets worse. Like, that's not even the worst thing about him. I... I hate this guy. This is like the absolute guy. You remember when I was talking about to the to the nice douchebags or the or the ones I hate the yeah. most when they're douchebag nice? I feel like that's Ness. That he's like, oh no, I'm a great guy. I'm an upstanding citizen. I call El Capone. And then he just a douche, he does a douchebag thing and he's like, I'm the victim here. He's douchebag nice. He would try to from another mob where he's an undercover agent and then he basically kind of Donnie Brasco if y'all have ever seen Donnie Brasco but how much do you want to bet that they based that guy that detective off of Ellie and Ness because he's like undercover and then he starts like get too deep basically yeah he's very conflicted hey Rob were you going to say anything oh yeah the dude just tried to build his legacy up so much that dude just burned it to the ground. Yeah. It's it's just crazy. This is the worst thing about him. Listen to this. He also became the most obnoxious prankster. He would purposefully set up dates with really tall women and really tall men just to laugh at them. Or he hired he would hire someone to fire shots into the air at nightclubs. And then watch his friend laugh at his friends as they ran away. He's got mental problems now. Yeah. Like, those aren't pranks, sir. They're not funny. Those sound like felonies to me. Yeah. I mean, maybe not setting him up on a date. That's just cruel. He's yeah, that's just cruel. I don't know if he can just be fired shots into the air. No, I don't. Yeah, that part is, is illegal, I think. Okay. He tried to run for mayor of Cleveland, but lost. Not long after this, Ness was involved in a drunk driving incident where he left his car and ran on foot. Ness died an alcoholic from a heart attack at the age of 54 in 1957. So, a lot of people really, really feel like this case was, like, his complete and eventual, like, decline and, and and downfall like if it hadn't been for this case he probably would have lived a lot longer his work became his life mm-hmm. yep. and it's almost like he didn't want to face the fact it wasn't like like we'll hear about peter marullo and his it wasn't he tried to move past it right he tried to act like oh no it's fine i didn't catch the killer but like and do all these other obnoxious things and drink and to, like, cover up the fact. I feel like he... You, do you get what I'm saying? I'm 
Okay. But Peter Murillo, on the other hand, he continued working on the case, officially working on the case, until 1943, when he retired. But even after, he continued to work on it unofficially. So he, I mean, took it with him all the way. Whereas Ness tried to move on. He never believed, Marullo never believed Swinney was the killer, but he also had no suspects himself. The Butcher of Kingsbury Run, aka the Cleveland Torso Killer, was never caught and never struck again after 1938. But theories ran rampant with this case. So are you ready to discuss theories? Let me lay out my theories and then... We'll talk about each one a little bit, and then and then we can talk about if y'all have any theories. Okay. Or what y'all believe. Okay. Theory number one, Sweeney did it. Thoughts? Uh, I think Sweeney did do it, but I feel like this is not enough evidence. Okay, let me tell you this part, because I don't think I made it clear when I was talking. When Sweeney was institutionalized was the same time the killing stopped. Ooh, that, that might that might punch his ticket, right? Yeah, but also like, like I said, there's just not a, there's no evidence against the guy. No physical evidence, but there's yeah. some circumstances. There's speculations, yeah, but and it's loose circumstances. It's like not concrete circumstantial, but that's what I'm saying. I think this is probably the best circumstantial case they have. I mean, the best-looking suspect they have. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He's number one. Yeah. Okay. The comic... the... No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it kind of goes back to how we were talking about last time with Taylor, of how, how do they catch anybody when they can barely get any evidence? Everything is pretty much circumstantial. Yeah. I mean, you don't have DNA. You would essentially have to find the murderer at weapon, hope their fingerprints are on it, put them in, make sure they have no alibi have a witness something yeah okay so theory two is that frank dolzell did in august of 1939 the cleveland police arrested they've only arrested or this is the only one they arrested they've only officially had two suspects these two the the cleveland police arrested frank dolzell as a suspect in Ford's polilo's case okay so if you remember from last week like the fourth victim was identified as Florence Polio. He had lived with Florence at the time. He had also he also had connections to Androssi, who was the second victim, and another victim identified as Rose Wallace. She was the black woman they found under her remains under the bridge. So he had connections to each of the victims that were identified. At first, when he was arrested, he confessed to Florence's murder, but later he recanted. The police kept him in custody while they continued to investigate, but he was later found dead in his cell. The police ruled it a suicide, but Frank had six broken ribs at the time of his death. It's suspected that the police were desperate to catch the killer, so they forced Frank to confess, and then when he recanted, they beat him. After his death, he was exonerated and ruled out. So, was he dead before Sweeney got locked up? No, this was... He... This happened in 1939, and I think Sweeney had already been institutionalized. 
no killings had been take had taken place. Yeah. So dude. this, yeah, yeah, and Sweeney was locked up at the time of Frank's arrest. Wow. Well, because that one sounds more like my suspect, just because he has a relationship with with all of them. But yeah, my only thing was like, where was he when Sweeney got locked up? But also, what are his connections to these people? How close were they? Did they run into him one time at a bar? Did he know him? Like, did. Did Sweeney and the other guy know each other? Do we know? There has been no connections made to Sweeney and any of the victims. What about the uh, the other suspect? Frank Dulzell. Like, do they know each other? Yeah. I don't think so. Suspicious. I think that... I don't think Frank did it. I think it's a coincidence that he might have known all of these people. Um... Because to me, I I don't see the killer having a connection with these people. This doesn't feel like a personal killing. It feels just random. Yeah. So I don't know if the connection really means anything. Usually when the killing's personal, it's very, it's overkill is what they say. So they, they stab him 70 times. It's gory. It's bloody. Usually they don't take the head, like... And they don't keep, I don't know, personal for all 13 victims? He knew all 13? It's essentially what you have to say. If he knew three, he knew 13. And I don't know. This doesn't seem probable to me. Nah, I don't know. Okay, also, do y'all believe that police killed him or do you believe it was a suicide? Police killed him. Oh, they, they killed him. He had six broken ribs. He, he died. Think he broke the, his own. He died from the injury. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, three number three. This killing and the Black Dahlia are done by the same killer. Do you all know the Black Dahlia case? No. It's very infamous. Big, big true crime case. I did write up a little something for you. On January fifteenth, nineteen forty-seven, Elizabeth Short. She was like an up-and-coming actress was found to have been brutally murdered and mutilated in Los Angeles. She was also cut up, face, hands, all of that intact, because they knew, immediately knew who it was. Um, in 1938, one of the letters that Ness had received from presumably the killer had said that he had moved on to California. In both cases, a butcher knife was used and the bodies were cleaned. Suspicious. Uh, so yeah, what do you think of this? I see him. See, I don't know. See, it's tough because some people could just could be try to like recreate it just to make it seem like it's the same killer. Yeah, I mean, some say that it was like a cop that the Black Dahlia was a copycat of the Cleveland. Yeah, I don't think they're connected. Uh. I know it's hard for y'all because y'all haven't heard a lot about the case and we will cover the case on this podcast at some point because there's been like it's pretty infamous and yeah Taylor's never been caught and it's been on TV shows before but that one that see 
that one was overkill. I mean, she was brutally, like, I think she was dismembered. She was, like, cut open. I think her insides were all splayed out. I mean, that one was overkill and seemed personal. It wasn't clean like this. these were. Yeah, it doesn't fit the M.O. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think it's weird that the killer was like, I'm going to California. But I also feel like at the time, everyone was going to California because that's where they thought the money was. Yeah, I think the gold rush and the point that yeah. Wait, this is I think they just thought they could find jobs there. Okay. How are you? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm not a big history guy. Yeah, it it wasn't the gold rush, but I think so. I think a lot of people were just moving to California at the time. I think it was a coincidence. Just the place to be. Okay, theory four. It was Willie Johnson. A girl had witnessed Johnson disposing of a trunk in 1942. So this was, uh, let me do some math, four years after the killings had stopped. When investigated, the trunk contained the torso of a woman whose head and arms were found in a bush nearby. She was identified as Frances Wilson. Johnson apparently also had connections to Rose and maybe Florence, although... Suspected by the coroner. So the coroner kind of really thought it was this guy. He was never linked. He was sentenced to death for Florence's murder. What happened? It was like a... Like a partnership they were doing with the killings. Like it was multiple killers? Yeah. But they were all in cahoots together is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I can see that. And it's making me concerned that Malik hasn't really said anything about any of these theories. Why is that concerning you? Are you just thinking very you hard? did it. Thum, thum, thum. I just contemplate. I told you before we started recording, I think someone did it. It's but so Sweeney had, Sweeney had ties to the government. Yeah. See, I right now, as of right now, I'm leaning on Sweeney. Just because of you know what I well I could see that the crimes are because also remember in that profile they basically said it had to be a doctor a butcher or a hunter who knew how to make clean cuts and where to cut on a body. But why would the government do it, Millie? What would be the reason behind government? I don't know, but it, some see, I want I want to say Sweeney, but see I, I can sure, see, but I, I can think it's one that's in the government just because of how. "Quote unquote," Wallace. Oh, sir, I can see. Him. So, Tweeny was part of the government, right? They hired I mean, him to do the. He was not a part of the government. I know, but Cousin was a congressman. He had ties. They had it. The they had Sweeney do the killings, right? And before, it's a little stretch. He was doing the killings, and he was going to rat them out, and that's when they put him in, in the cuckoo house. See, I. I don't think the government told Sweeney to do the killings. I think Sweeney, because that he truly did have mental issues. It wasn't just like, let's put him here. Wife went to the court and said she feared for her husband's safety, his safety from himself, not her safety. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Sweeney just broke after the war. And just started killing, but his 
cousin was a congressman so they couldn't just be they they i think the government just cleaned up the mess i think they just came in they was- like they knew and they were like but we can't tell anyone because it would ruin this congressman's career so let's just put him in the institution and shut him up and keep him away from people i just feel like there's so many ways we can take these theories there's so many possible outcomes with these theories with each suspect we're not even done we have two more theories you ready theory number five so are we ruling out willie johnson which one is he again he's the guy that got caught disposing oh yeah he's out i'm i feel like that's personal and but see they did the same thing with willie johnson they're like well he has connections to one maybe two of the victims well so did frank dozo i mean maybe maybe willie just like he didn't want anyone to think know that he did it so he tried to make it look like the old killer so nobody that's what that's what i'm thinking i think willie was just a copycat he was I think he probably knew this woman, Francis. He probably freaked out and hurt her. Yeah. She ended up dead. And I think he was like, oh, my God, what do I do? And the killing that happened four years ago. And he was like, it's almost a copycat thing. Yeah. Okay, so theory number five. It was different people in individual cases. So different people not working together, A-Rod, but different people all together. Like, these cases aren't linked. And this... This idea, this theory came out in about 1997, and it's based on the fact that technology was lacking at the time, so the autopsy results were probably inconclusive. So people, the experts have gone back and looked at it and was like, you know what, looking at it now, it doesn't really forensically or from an autopsy doesn't seem like they're leaked. When you get to the teens, yeah, you can see, like, copycats, different people. But, like, how you, there's no way... It had to be the same person in the beginning of, like, of those first couple killings who did the same ones. Yeah, I don't believe this theory at all. I feel like the MO's too similar. I feel like, okay, maybe you have one or two that... Did copycat. Yeah, but I feel like, for the most part, this is... They're too much the exact same way. Yeah. Too similar for me. I mean, how many people are chopping up... And because, like, I don't know, with the cuts being the same and being clean, I'm like, how many people really know how to do that? Like, Not a lot. There's so many people would mess up. Okay, yeah, I feel like that's not true. Last theory, theory number six. The killer worked on the railroad or frequently traveled by the railroad. And let me clarify, when I say traveled by the railroad, not, like, buying a ticket. Like, they would do the jump off, jump. This was Marullo's theory. And is evidenced by the fact similar murders happened along the same rail line and the victim type was possibly transient. See, I think this is a strong one because I think the killings in Newcastle that we were talking about, the murder swamp where it was dismembered people dropped in a body of water, no one can identify them. Same cut, same knife, same victim type. I, I think Marula has a strong case here. It comes down to the the cuts for me. That's what it's... There's no way. I mean, it could have been the same person traveling, but, like, he had to be, like, an ex-doctor or something on the train. That's what they think, is that it was, like, a doctor that that was, like... Hopping. Hopping. 
because the war had just taken place. And like we talked about with Sweeney, the doctors didn't necessarily be certified. They just got as many men as they could. And some of those, like their jobs were just to learn, um, you know, kind of trial by fire with medical stuff. See, that one makes sense to me because of what we talked about about our last episode when we talked about how people can just disappear. So it makes sense as far as the disappearing fact of it. Like he like went around, whatever, killed all these people, and then he just hopped on another train, went somewhere, and that was the end of it. And maybe he never killed anybody else, or maybe he kept killing, but he just kept hopping on the train and he was piecing out. Yeah, I think. That is tough. I know. Okay. Well, what to do? Like, go back in time. And, like, don't be involved, but just, like, see the overview of all this happening. Like, see it from, like, third person. I don't know. Okay, so, one by one. Malik, what theory are you leaning towards? Uh, it's either Sweetie or the train. Okay, but, like, which one are you leaning towards? Uh, the train train just for the disappearing fact of it here's also okay well Aaron, what do you think and then i guess i'll say my theory sweetie you think it was sweetie mm-hmm. i think that i also think it was the train and this is why because if it was truly sweetie i don't think ness would have just let it go i don't think he would have just walked away and said I don't, it, it's that guy, but I don't have enough physical evidence or whatever. Gotta let him go. I think Ness is the type who's like, if if he knew it was Sweeney, he would not let that man out of his sight. He would find some evidence. He would not just let it go. He He wouldn't care about the government. He loved the media attention. If he could solve this case, he would be the guy, you know? He wanted to be a part of it so bad, and he thought this case would be his, like, another big break. So Sweeney must have said something in that hotel room in that week that was enough to convince Ness that he wasn't the guy and to let him go. And to just walk away from it. So with that being said, I I feel like it's the train thing, because I feel like the murders in Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania are too close too similar and i don't think sweeney would have traveled so i do think it was someone on the railroads that was going back and forth or looking for his victims on the railroads but here's the thing this, i don't know this person had to do it in a certain location don't you think like even if he did do it on the railroads he had to take the, these victims somewhere to do this work in private but then the thing with that guy that was like, I got sick with the physician. That could be why there was no defensive wounds, you know, found or it was so easy to cut the victims. Is because that guy passed out for three days. He probably drugged him. And it was in the vicinity of Sweeney's office. Is there, yeah. But it would be curious to know how many, like, doctors and physicians were in that area. In a five-street radius? Yeah. Like I said earlier, how many people are considered 
maybe doctors or not doctors that were in like World War One, and they were just medics. And they were just thing. trained. Yeah, they were just trained to do it. So I feel like that opens up a whole other can of worms, a whole bunch of other different suspects of people who could yeah. potentially cut people. Because people. someone like that could be riding the trains back and forth. Mm-hmm. I feel like Sweeney had a good setup because he had family with money, but that doesn't mean all soldiers came home and got a warm welcoming. Yeah, wasn't there like a lot of back? Yeah, there's like a lot of backlash after World War One. There were like a lot of homeless soldiers, and things like that. So it's yeah, because it, the yeah. All right. Well, obviously, we're not going to solve the case. <laughs> I wish. Um, by just sitting here talking about it, but I felt like there are some interesting, pretty plausible theories out there. Do you think they pulled together all the, as far as like in the area of where they think the suspects were, all the army veterans, the ones that are medics? You think they pulled them all together? I saw, I looked it up on Wikipedia. It said they pulled like 9,100 suspects. Do you think that included all the medics? I don't think it's specifically. I maybe maybe they were like, okay, now let's look at all the medics from the war. But I haven't read anything that they were like, it's a military guy or someone from the war and put those two things together. You you talked to ninety one people, ninety one hundred people, right? Yeah, that's what it said. And none of them was your suspect. That's the crazy thing. The war medic thing that you brought up, Kenzie, that's that's a very interesting twist. Yeah, that I can see that. I can see that being a possibility. I could see having the training and having PTSD. I feel like it could very well have been driven by PTSD. It did. And just the anger of being in the like what all they had to see and man. I don't know. I mean, at this point, I don't think it'll ever be solved, but. Nah, they threw it in the cold case box and called it good. Yeah, I mean, like. Yeah, most of them are like John Doe's, right? Most of them are John Doe's, and it's not like they have any DNA that they can now forensically test. Because they wouldn't even have thought to keep it back then because they didn't even know what DNA was but man oh man but you know what we have developed our profiling skills because I'm reading this as well and it says that criminals were part of the uh whatchamacallo the war yeah they were so they sent everyone over there yeah Yeah, they sent everyone so so yeah maybe they're like alright like Take time off your like sentence. You go to. The I don't even think they did that. that. Yeah, I don't think they just sent them. They just. I don't think they promised them anything. I think you have to be like a certain level of like a criminal. Like you can only commit a certain level of crime. Like you can be a murderer or something. And then they would send you. I forget what class. Like felony misdemeanor. You probably not a violent crime. Yeah, but just because you got convicted of a non-violent crime doesn't mean you weren't. Con- doing i mean yeah so that goes even more into it maybe they were serial killer and they just didn't get convicted of serial killer like alcohol like how many 
how many of those like criminals that went that they sent over to be in the war came back and went back to jail like there's no way they could have kept track of all of them and were like all right now that you're back come on back but good episode guys good part two see why this couldn't be all done all in one we would have been here forever yeah it's two whole separate episodes and we thought we were gonna finish early yep okay are y'all ready to hear next week's episode see we are watching ncis the original season 16 episode one destiny's child destiny's child where can they find this set episode, Kinsey? Paramount Plus is where I watched it. Might be on other platforms, but... Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Also, okay, I also think it's funny that we watch two season openers back-to-back. We watched Criminal Ones, season 10, episode 1, and now we're watching this one. NCIS, season 16, episode 1. But also, this is kind of a two-parter, but like... Not really. I could follow the episode without having gone back and watched. They did the previously on. But essentially, I think it all took place in the season 15 finale. Ended on a cliffhanger and season 16 picked it back up. I could follow it without having to go back and watch it. But if you wanted to, you could watch both episodes. I'll probably have to watch both. Yeah, I'll probably have to watch both. So... And all our listeners out there, that's just a PSA for you, too. So. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. And with that, that's another episode. I feel like we're all just stooped and we don't have the the mm. excitement of ending it. The cave too much thinking. Yeah, too much so thinking unre- for a Sunday. Feel unresolved to just be like, okay, no ending. Mm-hmm. Let's end the episode. There's yeah, no conclusion. You know what? To all of our listeners, we'd love to hear your theory and what you believed happened or who the Cleveland Torso Killer is. So, you know, email us, Crime on Primetime Pod. You can DM us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can now DM us on TikTok if you can do that on TikTok. You gotta follow each other back. You gotta be follow. You gotta follow us on all the social medias. And you know what? While you're at it, let's just throw this in here. You know, like, rate, review, subscribe on whatever streaming platform. If you review us, it really helps a lot. Even if you say you hate it, and that helps more than nothing. So if you absolutely just hate us, don't say anything. But if you feel indifferent about it, you can write a review saying, I feel indifferent about it. But if you love us, also write us a review and you can say how much you love us. Yeah, don't say you hate it. You'll hurt Kenza's feelings. I grew up. I'm not. Not mentally. It'll hurt, but I'll come back and I'll be like, listen, I would make all the changes y'all said, even if it was not good changes. So, do all of those things. Please, very pleased, from the bottom of my heart. And for my mental health. (laughs) Okay. And with that, this is Crime on Primetime. I'm your host, Kinsey Huseman, and we are signing out. See ya. Later.